what's up everybody okay so today we will take a look at the fourth letter written to the church of thyatira in this letter we see another description of jesus that john used in chapter one he is described as the son of god who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze remember this indicates the piercing gaze of jesus the all-seeing eye of jesus that nothing is hidden from him you know, and the feet of burnished bronze represents the fires of judgment, like metal that is put through the fire to test its purity. You know, but Jesus does praise them, you know, saying that I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than that of first. However, the rebuke to this church is probably the lengthiest one of all the letters to the churches. So let's jump in and see what we can learn from this letter to the church of Thyatira. Now, as we get started, let's get a little backstory, you know, and history as well, like we've done with each of the churches. This letter mirrors the fourth period in church history that we want to pay attention to, which is basically the rule of the Roman Catholic Church, the, the time when they reigned, so to speak. Remember, the third letter represented the Pergamon period, and that is the period in which the church was married to the Roman Empire. Um, now, thanks to Constantine, of course. Now, the fourth period, this this letter refers to, the which we just call the Thyatira period, it is marked with the fall of the Roman Empire and the power vacuum that that created, which gave birth to the rise of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this is where the church stopped acting like the church and started wielding power, playing politics, and governing across borders like an empire or a body of government. The Catholic Church ruled with unchecked power for a thousand years almost, making kings and removing kings and waging war and all this stuff. Now, none of which was ever the purpose or mission of the church that Jesus established through his apostles. The Roman Empire had corrupted the church by flooding it with pagan practices and symbolism and rituals, not to mention the hierarchical uh, power structure that later became the clergy. This was part of, also part of the Nicolaitan teachings that we mentioned before. Remember, the Nicolaitans lorded over the other believers, claiming they had special knowledge and insight from God. What did the Catholic Church do during its, you know, rule during this thousand-year time? They they would not allow you know the scriptures to be translated into common languages because. They didn't want anyone reading the scriptures other than the church. You know, they wanted control. Only they could, only they, the church, the 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 priests and whatnot, only they could deliver the word of God to the people. You know, they lorded over the people. They were the unquestionable voice of God on earth. Um, so, you know, okay, with that being said, let's move on with what this letter has to say. Uh, regarding the Church of Thyatira. So based on the intro and description of Jesus in this letter, we know that he wants the church in Thyatira to know that he sees all, and even though they try to hide their sins, nothing is hidden from him. He sees what they are doing and will test them in the fires of judgment until they repent. Before we get to that rebuke, though, you know, before we get to that rebuke that he has in store for them. Jesus does praise them for all the good works they are doing and, and the fact that they have increased the good that they are doing. 
you know, from what they started with, along with their love, faith, service, and perseverance. You know, so they're doing great in that regard. But we know that good works is not the top priority of the church. Sharing the gospel and reaching the lost is the priority. Anytime the church gets away from that or allows something else to take that number one spot, the church loses its way. Eventually, that will lead to the church becoming weak and ineffective for the kingdom, making it easier for the enemy to infiltrate and further mislead the people. Keeping first things first is how we stay focused on what matters most. Churches that are on fire for God are always the same churches reaching the lost every week, seeing salvations on a regular basis. In fact, I would say that the reason they are on fire for God is because they have a love for reaching the lost at all costs, just like Jesus. It's hard to be more like him than when you are showing grace, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness and pushing the envelope to snatch souls out of the hand of the enemy. Now comes the rebuke. Verse 20, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Here we see the same problems we saw with Pergamum, sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. But this time the believers are influenced in a different way. You know, before it was with uh, Balaam, it was... You know, with Balaam, it was the greed that led to the luring the people into sin. You know, the Nicolaitans, it was the deception that there is no consequences for sins or the flesh and and they how they lorded over them and kind of manipulated the teachings. And now we have someone who is like Jezebel using seduction to bait the people into committing acts of sexual immorality, then leads them to eating foods you know, sacrifice to idols. So here we are with idolatry again. Now, clearly Jesus wants us to see that these two areas are a huge problem in the church, just as they are today. Sexual immorality is commonplace. Christians don't bat an eye at sexual sin these days. There is a thousand and one ways that it is justified in a person's mind. And like I said before, it is easier to ask for forgiveness than to face that sin and deal with it. Sexual immorality is definitely an indicator of Satan's grip on society and even many of the believers. It always leads to destruction in the end. Then you have, of course, idolatry. And and that's anything we prioritize before or above God. That's an idol. Anything that we give more importance to than God is an idol. And in today's time, that can be a long list. At the top of which would be things like, you know, people's, you know, cell phones, you know, gaming systems, social media, internet, porn, which is like a combo of the two areas, you know, your career, even hobbies, you know, going to the gym, if going to the gym is more important than your quiet time. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. You know, the point is that we must not neglect these two areas and allow the enemy to deceive us with the teachings of Balaam or Nicolaitans or even Jezebel. Those methods, we got to be very cautious and aware of them. 
And Jezebel was a wicked woman, a Phoenician who was the wife of King Ahab, the ruler of the northern kingdom of Israel during the days of Elijah. Now, King Ahab was a weak, spineless leader, and Jezebel took advantage of that and used uh, seduction to convince you know, King Ahab to do some ungodly things, then used her influence to lead the people of God away from his ways. In the letter to Thyatira, we don't know exactly who this actual person was, only that she was described as being, you know, like a Jezebel. They just used that name to describe this person's, um, uh, this person's ways and what they're doing. You know, trying to seduce and mislead people, and that she likely had many others following, following her lead and helping to mislead the people in the church, seducing them into acts of sexual morality, and then of course leading them into, um eating food sacrificed to idols and the same problem just keeps repeating itself. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. Jesus goes on to say, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is an intense statement. Like the description of Jesus at the beginning of this letter, now that description uh, makes sense. Whoever this person is um, has been given ample time to change their ways, but their heart is hardened and and they are stubborn and they refuse to change. So Jesus is going to make this person suffer and all those who follow her ways will suffer intensely as well if they do not repent. You know, then he doesn't stop there. Even her children will suffer and be struck dead. Now, this could literally be children that this person had with various people or it could be implying the followers of this person who were teaching her ways like her offspring from her from the teachings of Jezebel like so to speak like disciples if you want to call it that either way the bed of suffering is also translated as a bed of sickness given the amount of sexual immorality it was likely some form of sexually transmitted disease god tends to punish in a way that matches the sin but this punishment or judgment uh the church or judgment the churches will know by this um or should I say by this punishment or judgment, the churches will know Jesus is the one who searches the hearts and minds of his people and will hold each accountable for their deeds. Remember the phrase hearts and minds was showing that nothing is hidden from him. Man may not know what's in your heart or mind, but he does. It also shows that he is just repaying each person according to what they've done. To me, this section uh, teaches us that Jesus always is always gracious and patient with us. He gave plenty of time to change, but she refused. And he gave those committing these sinful acts with her the chance to uh, avoid the coming punishment by simply repenting. I see a Jesus who is just and righteous and true to his word, but is also gracious and merciful, giving every opportunity for someone to avoid the pain of what is coming. 
you know, to avoid that, that judgment. And this is a consistent theme threaded throughout Scripture, especially this book, you know, the book of Revelation. God will give people chance after chance to turn to him and avoid the coming judgment. But despite what he does and the opportunities he gives, there will be those who will still refuse him and will suffer for that. God will give more than enough chances, but make no mistake, they will eventually run out and all you are left with then is the judgment. Now, I love how he reassures the believers, the ones who are not following the teachings of Jezebel. Jesus basically says, hey, you can take a deep breath. You're safe and you don't have to worry about this coming affliction, this this coming judgment. He says he will not impose any other burden on them. All they all that he asks is they hold on to what they have and continue to follow the truth uh, of his word until he comes. I believe we live in a time where we are surrounded by evil, much like these churches were back then. And Jesus is saying, hey, just hold on to the truth and don't let the Balaams and Nicolaitans and Jezebels of your day lead you astray. Just hold on to God's ways, his truth. Keep putting Jesus first until he returns. You know, the last part of this letter states that the reward for those who persevere and do his will unto the end they will get to reign with him during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, which we will discuss much more about that later. They will be given positions of authority and will govern the nations under the power and rule of Jesus. And it also indicates that not every nation will willingly surrender, but they'll be made to surrender. And at the end of his earthly reign, those who were reluctant to surrender, will rebel, but then he will strike them down with the sword of his mouth. This reward of governing and ruling with Jesus probably hits close to home because they were used to being the ones that were ruled and governed and lorded over, you know, from the Romans to the false teachers of the church. But one day the table would turn for them. And that is the picture that the last will be first. Now, in closing, this letter mirrors the fourth period in church history going from about 680 to uh, Reformation of 1517 AD. During this time, the Roman Catholic Church ruled and wielded power across borders, governing, waging war, and so on, and introducing all kinds of things into the church. You know, like in the letter to Thyatira, to Thyatira Jesus gave ample time for the church to change their ways, but in the end, it was the Black Plague that wiped out 60% of the population in in that area of Europe and ultimately weakened the grip of the Roman Catholic Church, opening the door for Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. I hope you can see the similarities of the letter and how it is tied to this period in church history. And it's amazing to me to see how multifaceted these letters are, applying directly to the issues of the time which, in which they were written, as well as simultaneously applying to uh, what would become hundreds of years of church history. Well, I hope you guys got as much out of that as I did. There is so much more that you can dig into on your own, and if you wish, and hopefully I've given you um, a good start. But... Let me just say this. I hope in these letters 
that you can see that there is hope there. The judgment is only for those who are uh, ignoring God's ways and and are living um, in sin and and being led astray and you know or leading people astray. It's only for those people. But for those who are believers who are following God's ways, you don't have to fear any of those judgments. You get to cling to the hope. You get to see the God who gives repeated chances, the God who's constantly gracious and given more and more chances. That's the love of God. He he doesn't want to punish them. He wants to give them chances, but eventually those chances run out and he has to be a God of his word. You know, but for those who are who are sealed, for those who are, are believers, we get to cling to the hope, the rewards, the promises at the end. You know, and we will get to reign with him, you know, during that thousand year reign. And that's, that's just, that's amazing. I, I can't wait to see it. You know, I, I, this book is filled with so much hope for a believer. Um, I hope you guys can see that as well. You know what? Let's go in, to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for your grace and for showing us the truth of your word. I pray that it speaks to each person according to what they need to hear. The devil is relentless in his desire to keep people out of heaven and make them be- make the believers stumble in their faith. Jesus, I pray for you for your protection over each believer. I ask you to give us discernment so that we may avoid the traps of the enemy and not fall prey to the temptations of the false uh, false teachings. Help us to hold on to the truth of your word and to your ways until the end. Strengthen us so that we may remain steadfast in our faith until we reach heaven's gates. Amen.